Amen. So last week, Paul um, spoke about a man called Obed-Edom. He was a man that loved uh, to be in the presence of God. He loved to be able to serve God in whatever way he could possibly do it. Uh, if, if there was any opportunity for him to commit something, some, commit time or energy to, to serving God, he would find it. So if you needed someone um, to look after the Ark of the Covenant for a few months, he would offer his house. If, if you needed someone to um, welcome people as they come into the, the city, through the city gates, he'd get his high-vis high vest on and be out there welcoming everyone as they came in. If they needed someone to help uh, with the ministers and stuff like that, he'd be there. If they needed musicians in the band, he'd say, yeah, I can do that. I can play the, whatever, what was it? The, the harp. I can sing. I'm up for that. I'll do whatever it takes as long as I get to, to serve God, as long as I get to be in the presence of God. So Obed-Edom was a man who loved and was dedicated to God. And today we're going to talk about something which I think is even more amazing than that. We're going to talk about the fact that God is dedicated to us. And I think this is a, a truly fantastic thing. Hopefully, throughout this morning, we'll have an opportunity to think how ridiculous it is that God is dedicated to us. Actually, how outrageous it is and how humbling it is that God is dedicated to us. So that's where we're going. We're going to do it by looking at seeing how God is a man, uh, God is a God dedicated to us because he's mindful of us, he thinks about us. We're going to see that God's a God dedicated to us because he shares responsibility with us. And we're going to see that God proves his dedication to us by sending his son Jesus to die for us. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Psalm chapter 8. We're going to ring, read the whole thing. Um, it's going to come up here, but hopefully some of you have got... Has anyone got a Bible, an actual Bible? Brilliant. While you're looking for it, just to let you know, so Paul talked about us being dedicated to God. Today I'm going to talk about God being dedicated to us. And next week I'm going to look at uh, Psalm 138. And we're going to see what happens when the two come together. When we dedicate ourselves to God and when God dedicates ourselves to us. So if during the week you're looking at some, you want something to, to read and to think about and to meditate on, why not read through Psalm 138 and see what you get out of it before we meet together next week. So let me, let me read it to us, Psalm 8. It says this, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds, and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now I love this psalm. I'm sure a lot of us, this is one of the favourite psalms. There's a few interesting things about this psalm. Um, for instance, it's the first 
psalm that is a hymn. That is, it's the first so- psalm that is a song to God to give him glory and honour. I don't know how many people have read through the psalms before. Quite a number of us. Now often, I don't know if you do this, but um, when I think I'm going to read through the psalms, I get... I hope it's going to inspire me to worship. It's going to get me excited about the glory of God. It's going to get me thinking about things that I, I haven't thought about and get me deep into just appreciating God. It's, a, it's known for, for a, the, the quality of helping you pray and all of that kind of stuff. So you start reading through the Psalms. The only problem is, after the first Psalm, things get really depressing very quickly. <laughs> you kind of, first Psalm, yeah, that's good, that's helpful. Second Psalm, my avenger, I must avenge my foes and all of this kind of stuff. And you think, oh man, Psalm 3 and 4, you're like, man, this stuff is just deep. He's just sad. He's got enemies everywhere. They're all trying to attack him. And then you, you think, this isn't really helping me. And you go 4, 5 and 6 and you think, goodness me, when is this going to stop? And you get to chapter 7 and you think, there's 150 Psalms. This is not helping me worship God. And then finally you get to Psalm 8 and you're like, ah. Oh, this is what it's about. This is what I wanted. It's the first psalm that really brings the praise and the honour to God. It's also the only psalm, and this is interesting, it's the only psalm that is completely Godward. There's no other psalm that is completely just, it's David that wrote it, just speaking to God. Now there's lots of psalms that, that focus on God, but it also focuses on other, other things like David will speak to himself, or the psalmist will speak to himself, or he'll speak to the congregation, the people of Israel, or he'll speak to the, the creation, or he'll speak to the nations, or the enemies of God. But this is the only one that purely focuses on God. And so it's, it's quite an important psalm for that reason. It's a beautiful poem set, the, the first line is the, the, the same as the last line, and it's, it's very poetic, but also in its own way, You could say it's scientific as well for its day. You see, David was he he was inquisitive. He he looked, you can imagine him, he was a shepherd in the night, he'd look at the night sky and just see the glory and the wonder of it, and it would cause him to ask questions. Why, if God made all this, why would he care about me? So it's a kind of for its day, it's it's a bit scientific. He's he's interested in what's going on in the world and in the universe. One person wrote this, the psalmist used the best scientific instruments available to him, his eyes and his ears, his smell and touch. They are the same instruments Newton used when he timed the period of a pendulum according to his own heartbeat. Now you would think thousands and thousands of years after David originally wrote this, would be looking back and smiling at him. Oh, David, if only you knew what, what was really going on, you would, you would understand. And we'd just, you know, just gently, politely laugh at the fact that he kind of had this image of God. But actually, all these years later, the greatest minds still look in awe and wonder at the creation. I want to uh, give you a quote by a man. It's going it's to come up in a second. I've lost my little... Oh, here it is. You found it. His name... Um, Where's his name? It's impressive. Here we go. Werner Magnus Maximilian Freyer von von Braun. I've done it for sure in there. Um, (laughs) He's the father of the the NASA space program. 
He's the chief architect of the Saturn V5 launch vehicle that took the Apollo uh, mission to, um, to the moon. And he said this about creation. He said, I would have to say that for me, the grandeur of the cosmos confirms my belief in the certainty of a creator. The universe, as revealed through scientific inquiry, is the living witness that God has indeed been at work. My experience with science led me to God. It was as if I was putting a face on God. And the more we see of God's creation, the more we stand in awe and wonder at it. So after talking about the glory of heaven and earth, the psalmist asked a question. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for him? Now if David, who all he could do was look with his eyes and see the glory of the heavens, if he, his, he was led to ask the question, God, why are you mindful of humans? Why do you think about us? How much more when we can see so much more, must we ask, God, why would you care about us? And it's a good question. It's a question that is asked in the Bible a number of times, in Job, a couple of times in Psalms, and in, um, in Hebrews. This question, what is man that you are mindful of him? Why do you think about us? Is asked again and again. And for those that don't believe in God, the insignificance and the puniness of humanity is a reason to say there can't be a creator. If God, if there really was a creator, why would he care about us? The, one blogger put it like this, it's the height of arrogance to believe that a creator of the universe has the same caring nature as this lowly life form on one of the nine planets from one of the suns in the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Really, out of all the life forms, in all the planets, we were the cosmic winners God decided to care about. In other words, what this lady is saying is, don't be arrogant. God doesn't care about us. Why would God care about us? Look at how great this uh, universe is. Why on earth would God care about us? And the, to, in all truthfulness, I can't exactly answer that. If you're here today and you're thinking, why does God care about me? Why would God care about me? No one else in the world seems to care about me. Why would, why would I think that the creator of the heavens and the earth would care about me? On one level, I can't answer that question, except to say God chose to care about us. God chose to care about his uh, creation, and he chose to care about humanity in a special way. In Genesis, it says God created uh, the heavens and the earth, the sky and the sea, the land, all the animals in it, and it was good. When he made mankind, when he made humankind, he said, that is very good. Um, there's something special about these people. So God shows his commitment to us, one of the ways he does it, is by being mindful of us, by thinking of us. I don't know why he does, except to say he wants to. The second way that God shows his commitment to us is by sharing responsibility with us. Carried on to say, what are mere mortals 
that you should think about them. Human beings, that you should care for them. Yet you made them a little lower than God's and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean. So at the beginning of the year, um, we decided that we were going to give my three oldest kids some responsibility. So for Matilda, my oldest, she's got to put on a load of washing every day. For Lydia, she's got to fill the dishwasher every day. And for Simeon, he's got to take all of the recycling out and put it into the bins every day. So so they've got a responsibility. So far, so good. Two out of three of them are happy about it. One of them... (laughs) Uh, is, is not so happy, but she does it. And, um, and, th- and, they, and one of the reasons we do that is because part of family life is taking responsibility. Part of family life is not just caring about your own needs and making sure you get done what you need to get done, but actually you're thinking about the needs of others, that you're caring for the needs of others. And in the same way, God chose to show his commitment to, hu- to humanity by allowing us to join in with his work, by giving us responsibility. So the first half of the psalm, we see that God does a whole load of work. The stars in the sky, the whole of the earth, the whole of creation speaks of the praise of God. He brings life into being. That's God's responsibility. And then in the second half, we see that he gives us responsibility. In short, to look after his creation. It's a special responsibility. Now, we're created, just like all the other elements of created creation, we're created, but it said God had kind of elevated us as humanity to just below God so that we could have a relationship with him. And part of that relationship was, here's your responsibility. Look after the earth. And so that's what we're called to do. And I just, uh, just on a really practical way, how are you looking after the earth at the moment? How are you looking after God's creation? We don't really talk about it too much in church. But it's quite big news at the moment. I'm going to talk about it a little in a little while. But actually, we've got a responsibility to think about God's creation and make sure we're playing our part in keeping it well because that's the mandate that God's given us as people, as human beings. So God uh, has shown us commitment by thinking of us, by being mindful of us. He's also shown us commitment by sharing responsibility with us. And finally, he shows us responsibility by giving us his son, Jesus. Do you know, there's a brokenness about the world that we live in, a very real brokenness. The Apostle Paul said that all creation is groaning, waiting for things to be redeemed or sorted out. And in a very real sense, something is not right with God's creation. And that's what they knew 2,000 years ago. Today, we know it all the more. The most popular TV program of 2017 was um, Blue Planet 2. Did anyone get to watch that? It was stunning, wasn't it? It was absolutely amazing. 
And uh, I imagine it left you uh, at moments in awe and wonder. I mean, there, there was one thing that baffled me. It's like, did you see the one about the sea beneath the sea? It's cra- crazy, all sorts of craziness. Different animals that they found that they'd never seen before. What an amazing thing to see. It left me in awe and wonder, but it equally left me shocked and saddened and, and, and shamed, really, of the destruction that, as, as human beings, we've, we've created, the problems that we've created. And where does the, po- the, the finger of blame get pointed at? It, it has to get blame po- pointed to us, doesn't it? It's humanity. We're the ones that have caused the brokenness that we've been seeing on our TV. And I want to suggest that the reason that creation is broken is because humanity is broken. We've rejected God. God set us in place just below him. We can have a relationship with him, but we've gone our own way. We've rejected God. We've neglected the commands that he placed on us. And as a result, our special relationship with God has been broken. It's as if we've left our family responsibility and gone our own way. God gave us this. This is your responsibility. No, thank you, God. I'll do whatever I want, whatever pleases me, and we've gone our own way. So now we're left with a question. Two questions. One, on a physical level, on a kind of, uh, kind of earth level, can the world be redeemed? Can it be saved? And one of the, uh, one of the uh, elements of the blue planet that came out was, we don't know. Scientists don't know whether we can redeem the world from, this, from the brink. But we've got to try something. We've got to try something. And uh, I, I just felt on a really personal level, Christians, we've got to be really careful that we are part of that. That we are looking to, s- to, to redeem creation in whatever way we can. Um, it's interesting that often you get, you get people saying, it doesn't really, this is what Christians sometimes, I've, not always, but I've heard people say, it doesn't really matter about creation or, or like the state of the world because one day Jesus is going to come back and sort it out. I think that's a very dangerous thing to talk about, actually, and a d- very dangerous way of talking because God gave us that commission. We're the ones holding that, and so we've got to take it seriously. We can't stand before God and say, well, God, I knew I didn't need to do anything there because you were going to come back anywhere. He's going to ask us, what did you do with the responsibility I gave you? So on a physical level, is it all right? Is it going to be all right? I don't know. We do need God. <laughs> We've got to do something. But on a spiritual level, in terms of humanity, in terms of our, human, uh, our brokenness, can we be saved? Can we be brought back? And the answer there is a resounding yes, because Jesus has committed himself to us. You see, humans, we were created by God and lifted up to this point, and then we kind of went away from God and rejected him. So God sent his son Jesus, fully God, and lowered him down to our level in that sense. And Jesus came and stepped into our mess. He stepped into our brokenness so that he could lead us back to God. When Jesus came, he said, listen 
to me. You've given up on God. You've rejected his call. You've stopped listening to his commands. Listen to me now. Jesus said, if anyone hears my voice and puts them into practice, they're like someone who builds his house on a rock and the rain comes down and yet the building stands. We've got to listen to Jesus and we've got to follow him. As we follow Jesus, we, we, we are led back to God. As you trust in the life of Jesus, hope can be restored and your brokenness can be fixed. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 and 11, it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, is it on there? Just, just, just to help. In, bring, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and from whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those that are being made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. And uh, as Jesus stepped down, we're called now to follow him. And as we follow him, as we put his words into practice, as we put our trust in him, he takes us back into the family and we can be part of the family of God. So God's committed to us. He's committed by being mindful of us and caring for us. Why, why does he care for us? I don't know. He just chose to, to care for us. He's committed to us because he shares responsibility with us. We're part of the family. We have responsibility. And finally, he's committed to us because he sent Jesus that we might follow him, be part of his family, be restored into community with God. I, wanna, I, wanna, um, I want us just to pray now. We've got a bit of time. So maybe actually, um, Tim, could you come up? Is that all right? And we'll sing a song. Let's, let's stand together. And as, as I was preparing, I just, I, I did really feel actually kind of that, that whole thing about caring for God's creation. I did feel that actually we need to take that seriously because it's something God's commanded us to do. And, uh, and perhaps over this week you can think about that. What, what meaningful things can you do to help this? <laughs> um, because it honours God as we, as we do that. But also, I just want to pray for us that we, we're amazed by his grace and his goodness in choosing us, but also we, we kind of, we just embrace it. We just say, yeah, God, I want to I go for you. I want to follow you. I want to be part of everything you're doing. So let me pray. Yeah. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your commitment to us. Lord God, we clearly don't deserve it. We don't deserve it because who are we that you are mindful of us, we're so puny, we're so small, and then we don't deserve it because we we fell away from you, and we we went against you, and we said no, we're going to do it in our own way, and yet you still were gracious to us, and kind to us, and you call us back as we put our trust in Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that as we live through life, we would just know the closeness of you, we would love the fact that you have chosen us, you have called us into something, Lord God. 
And Lord, we'd live in a way that honours that. I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.